0: let's take our Bible this morning and uh, make your way to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, We're going to uh, look at a text that's real familiar to us for those who've been in Sunday school, Um, but I wanted to preach a message that uh, might give us a good challenge for the beginning of a new year as Christians and uh, also give good for reflection and reminder to us. Uh, We'll be continuing in Ephesians beginning next Sunday, so I'm excited to dive back into the exposition of Ephesians. Uh, But for today, we're going to be looking at Hebrews 12, verse 1 through 3, and this will uh, flow right into what we've been studying in Sunday school. And if you haven't uh, been able to be in there, you'll see what we've been talking about. And I pray that it would be a blessing and both a challenge to us as we uh, begin a new year in our Christian life. Uh, Running Faithfully to the End is the title of our message. You want to look at verse 1 down through verse 3 of Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verse 1, down through verse number 3. And notice as this letter is written to uh, Hebrew Christians, uh, it says here, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross Despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. You know, we touched on some of this in Sunday school a few weeks ago, and maybe a little bit this morning. And in my mind, I was hoping maybe you forgot about it and you needed a reminder already, right? (laughs) I'm just teasing. But this particular text is one that is always, uh, always prevalent in my mind. One that I think we should rehearse and come back to, and and it is it is a text that explains to us and challenges us in our Christian life as a whole. Now, when we think about life itself, the brevity of life uh, becomes aware to us in, in many occasions. And as we enter into a new year, that's one particular occasion when I begin to think and ponder on how. How short life is. Anybody else feel like yesterday we were just entering into 2022 and now we're already entering into 2023? Uh, every year that comes upon us, we're, we're given a fresh awareness of how quickly time passes before us. And scriptures write in James 4.14, when, when God says our life is like a mist, a vapor, we're here for a moment and then we're gone. And as we think about the brevity of our lives and how quickly time passes, I'm always provoked, and I hope that it provokes you to think and evaluate how our life is being lived and what our life is being lived for. What is the purpose of the Christian life? Well, the chief purpose of the Christian life is the glory of God. I mean, that's the central purpose of all of life and all of creation. So so it is the glory of God. But how do we fulfill this purpose? We fulfill this purpose by loving Him above all else and living the Christian life as He prescribed for us to live it in His holy word. The scriptures give us many pictures or illustrations of the Christian life, which I'm thankful for. They're, many, they're very helpful in portraying the Christian life and communicating to us. And one of those pictures is that of running a race. It's a favorite, uh, I think, theme that Paul uses throughout his letters. There's many kinds of races in this world. You've got horse races like the Kentucky Derby. You've got automobile races like NASCAR. You've got foot races like uh, things you see at sprints and marathons and the Olympics. And, and so running in races has been a sport for a long time in human history. And it's a pretty fundamental form of competition and preparation, we're very familiar with it. Back when I was uh, in high school, preparing for basketball season, coming through the summer, our coach would often have us to do sprints, in which we would sometimes have to race another player, or long distance running for conditioning, in which we were, uh, we were told we got to run and pace ourselves, no walking, run the whole time. Uh, as we go on those conditioning endeavors, there's many that would run the whole time, but then I'd also see many who would stop and they'd have to walk for a while. And then there are some, if they just weren't real committed to being on the team, it was just kind of like a, hey, yeah, you, you know, this or that sort of thing. They quit. they just like, I'm, I'm not doing this. I'm, I think I'm just going to quit running. And, and the Christian life is much like that scenario. We are called to run our Christian race all the way to the end. Not just through one year and then maybe I'll take this year off, then I'll pick it up again next year. We are called to be faithful in our Christian race all the way to the end. Now, many people start good things with good intentions, but don't always finish them. How many have made resolutions, but did not see them through to the end of the year? Me, right? How many people are making resolutions about 2023, but uh, by the time they uh, get to a certain point, it's no go, right? I'm going to read through my Bible, they hit Leviticus, I'm done for a while. That's kind of how it goes. Uh, We make resolutions and they fail, and and that's what people do. They tend to look at it as a, it's almost like a cheap form of, I'm going to change my life, but then nothing really changes. Now, if you make resolutions, I hope that you do, and you can stick to them, and uh, things that are good and benefit you in your Christian life. But when we look at the Christian life as a whole, it's not a resolution someone makes. The Christian life is a resolve of the regenerated heart to live for Christ. It is a resolve in the heart to, because it's been regenerated, been born again, you've come to know a Savior who has saved you and changed you. And we as Christians must be reminded of the importance of this race that we are in and how to run it. Now understand that this race, it is not a quick sprint. You don't run it very quickly and then you're done. It's more like a marathon. It's more like a long distance run that requires you to have a steady, faithful endurance in your running through it. Now here in our text, we find specific detail of what is expected for us or from us in our Christian race. What does God want us to do in our Christian race? How can we press on to the finish? Notice with me three headings as we come through this text, and I want you to see this afresh with me this morning. Notice number one, the exercises of our Christian race. There are some specific things that we can glean that we are to exercise and do as a call in this race. And the first one is this. We need to look to the runners before us. We need to look to the runners before us. That's what opens this chapter. Now, I praise the Lord that there are many great men and women who have already run the Christian race before I ever did. Before you ever did. It's encouraging to know that you're not alone in this Christian race. It's always nice to know someone's gone before you and has run it and have gone to the finish line. And what we find throughout the book of Hebrews, and Hebrews 11 particularly, Hebrews 11 is what many call the hall of faith. We've come through it in Sunday school, so you're familiar with it. But verse 1, we find that uh, he says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, what are these witnesses? These witnesses are those who have run before us. Those who the writer of Hebrews brings out in chapter 11, who, who were Christians, they were called out of this world by God and, and given this Christian life in which they were to walk and to run uh, for God himself. People like Abel, and Enoch, and Noah, and Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, Moses, Joshua, David, and Samuel, and Gideon. Any of those names ring a bell? You know, from the time we're young, if you've been raised in church, you're taught the accounts of these people. We've been teaching our children the accounts of some of these people, and uh, probably their favorite account is that of David and Goliath. I mean, whose isn't when you're a kid, right? And so, so Jubilee and David, they recite to me what happened with David and Goliath, and that'll stick with them forever. But why do we do that? Why do we, why do we teach our children and others about these past accounts of people in the Bible? Is it just to give some fanciful or cool story that happened back long ago? No, these are real accounts of real people like you and I who live the life of faith. They are an example to us. They are ones who have already run the race. And so they weren't perfect people by any means, any means, but they were people who lived by the most important gift we've been given, and that is the gift of faith. All through Hebrews you see this reoccurring theme, that it is by faith so-and-so did this, or through faith so-and-so did this. Faith is the thread that links all of this together. Now if you look at chapter 11 with me and read this verse, Verse number 6, and notice how important faith is. Listen to this. Without faith, it is improbable. No? Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So do you see the essential nature of faith? You will not and cannot please God without faith. You can't do it. Faith is central to the Christian life. Just as Paul wrote in in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, he said we walk by faith and not by what? Sight. Now, the majority of our world around us depends on what they see in order to live their life. But it's not that way for the Christian. We walk by faith regardless of what we see. Now, our text in Hebrews 12 builds upon everything else established in the book and specifically draws from these witnesses, this great cloud of witnesses. And these are people who have run the race. And we as a Christian are called to run the race, this Christian race, in like manner. Now, here's the thing. Our race is not going to be identical to theirs. God's not calling me to go kill a Goliath. Called David to do that. Glad he did. Don't know if I'd have the faith to do that like he did. God's not called me to march around Jericho. Use Joshua and the others to do that. But every race of the Christian, every single one of us, the central tenet is the same. It is a race of faith. It requires faith. It is run in faith. It is achieved in faith. And so all of us have our own race in which God has called us unto. And as we look at those through the book of Hebrews 11, they are examples proving to these current believers that this was written to, and to us, that the race can be run even in the midst of great opposition and suffering. They are examples for us. James writes in his letter, in James 5, in verse 10 through 11, speaking of, Saints in the past, he says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He uses Job there as an example. All through the Scriptures, you're going to find that the Christian life, it is not a bed of rose petals. It is a challenging course in which I'll touch on in a moment. And here's the reality. None of us know what is ahead of us in our race. You don't know what's going to come before you this year. You didn't know what was going to happen this past year. You might enter into a season of great suffering. And yet, through that suffering, what we find in the Scripture are examples of people of faith who went through that very sort of thing. So we see that we must look to the runners before us. Letter B, notice, not only that in our exercise, we must also lay aside what hinders us. Lay aside what hinders us. Now, many of us struggle in our Christian race because we are weighed down by hindering things. Notice what the writer says in verse 1. Let us also lay aside every weight. Every weight. Now, what is meant by this weight? The Greek term here for weight refers to that which hinders one from doing something. (laughs) Very simple. Weights hinder us from doing something. Now, are all weights maybe inherently bad? Not exactly. Weights are often used by trainers to improve performance and make them better. When I was training for basketball season, often in my private practice, I would uh, I had these ankle weights that I would wrap around my ankles. It was about, I don't know, two or three pounds, something like that, and I would just play for a few hours wearing those ankle, ankle weights, trying to improve speed and agility and ability to jump, and so uh, I, w- I would play in that fashion to try to train myself and help myself. But would I ever take those weights and wear them in a basketball game? You ever seen anybody do that? I'd look foolish, like, what's that kid doing? Who does he think he is? LeBron James? He can't do that. The weights are for training. But if I was to wear them in a game, they would hinder my effectiveness in that game. And in the context of these Jewish Christians, here's the reality. Much of their weight or burden was the pressure to keep adhering to Mosaic customs. Now, those things weren't necessarily sinful, the ceremonies and such. They were the law of God of the Old Testament, but they were no longer needed. They were no longer part of the New Covenant community. They didn't need to keep doing those things. And so the pressure and burden of those things was weighing them down. Now, when we think of our own Christian life, there are many other weights or burdens that Christians have that sometimes they don't realize they have. I think John Calvin comments well on this, and I'll read a quote from him. He says, Now there are various burdens which delay or impede our spiritual course such as the love of this present life, the pleasures of the world, the lusts of the flesh, worldly cares, riches also, and honors, and other things of this kind. Whoever then would run in the course prescribed by Christ must, be, must, for, must first disentangle himself from all these impediments. For we are already of ourselves more tardy than we ought to be. So no other causes of delay should be added. He has a lot of truth there. Now, you could think of something in your life. I don't know what it is, but there could be something in your life that is a weight, something that's a burden to you running your race that you might need to lay aside. Something that doesn't necessarily have to be sinful. Sinful. I've always loved this quote by Adrian Rogers. He was a great preacher years ago. Good things become bad things when they keep you from the best things. And there's a lot of truth in that. There's a lot of truth in that. You see, here's how Paul put it. 1 Corinthians 6.12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. You know, Paul said there's a lot of things that I can do and, 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 that, that, that aren't necessarily sinful, but there's some things that are not going to help him. Not going not to not be helpful to others. Could you think of something in your life that hinders your race? Might be one thing, might be many things. That's between you and the Lord. Now, while this weight may not necessarily be sinful, many weights easily are sinful. Sin always will hinder your Christian race. Always. Now, notice what he says in connection to this, what the the writer says of Hebrews. He says also to lay aside the sin which clings so closely. The New American Standard translates this as the sin which so easily entangles us. The King James translates this as the sin which doth so easily beset us. So so what you find with this particular form of sin is it is something that is near to you and dear to you and holds on to you. Now understand, there is some sin that's easier to reject than other sins. Anybody else know that? There's some sin that you have a harder time in your struggle with than other sins. Some sin's hard to put away in our flesh as our flesh is gravitated towards that and really struggles with it. It might be doubt. Maybe you really struggle with that. Maybe it's pride. You have a lot of self-focus in your heart. Maybe it's anger. You're easily angered and it always besets you. Maybe it's lust you have a struggle with that? Maybe it's laziness or idleness. It could be fear. There's all sorts of sins that that we may struggle with internally that that we struggle with more than other sins. But sin of any kind will hinder your race, plain and simple. All of us have sin, in particularly, that we struggle with more than others. And only you are aware of that. You and the Lord. And if you're going to run your race as you ought to, We are called to lay aside the sin that easily besets us. Now, that doesn't mean that you can just, I guess, uh, cause it to no longer exist. It's always going to be something that's warring with you. But you are called as a Christian to daily mortify and put to death sin in your life. Put it to death. And this takes conscious application and discipline. God is not just going to make you live holy, although He is working in you towards that goal. There is a Christian responsibility to be holy. What does Peter preach to, his people, to the church in 1 Peter? He says, Be ye holy. Why? For I am holy. Speaking, quoting what the Lord says. Now, listen to this text. I think this is a great comparison. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, Paul the Apostle is writing, and he's he's talking about his own race and uh, the importance of this race and the discipline it takes for runners in a race. Notice what he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises what? Self-control or discipline in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. That passage is a challenge to me. That we are called to exercise self-control in our Christian life, discipline our Christian life. Where do we see self-control at? Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Self-control, temperance. So this discipline is something that is a daily duty for us. And we lay aside what hinders us, our weight and our sin that clings so closely. Number, letter, letter C, notice this also. This is very important in our exercise of the Christian race. We are also to endure through what faces us. Endure through what faces us. Now, running a race is not an easy task. Sometimes your race takes you downhill. Sometimes it takes you uphill. Now, I don't know anyone who enjoys running uphill. You enjoy, anyone who enjoys running uphill? Not me, right? Not you. It's tough. I've run plenty in outdoor settings, and anytime a hill is in my line of sight, I groan deeply. If you run, you know what I'm talking about. This happens in our Christian life. You know, the word race here, it comes from the Greek word agon, and it's from where we get our English word agony. <laughs> agony? I mean, I understand that in a physical sense, because sometimes you run, and and, and it can be agonizing. but, But in a spiritual sense, this is true also. Sometimes in our Christian race, we may face an agonizing season in our run, a hard season, a season of suffering. Things come into our life that are hard to get through, but yet we're still called to faithfulness, to endure. might be something physical, mental or marital, financial. Relational. There's all sorts of ways. There's a variety of ways that we suffer in this Christian life. And yet, as Christians, what are we called to do? We're called to keep running. We're never called to stop running. Now, for these Hebrews, they were facing pressure for their faith from their fellow Jews, which would soon turn into all-out physical persecution. So how do we run in these times of suffering? Notice that he says we must run with endurance. The endurance. Now, the Greek term here for endurance is defined like this, the capacity to hold out or bear up in the face of difficulty. And friend, that is the true test of endurance, continuing to go when it's hard. Because most people just want an easy route, don't they? They don't like what's hard. Endurance, that that could also be translated as as patience or fortitude, steadfastness or perseverance. And friend, this is where today's gospel has has been so distorted. It's been given this image that the Christian life is one of wealth and health and happiness and God's just going to give you all sorts of blessings if you're a Christian. But you understand that Christianity, true Christianity, brings various forms of hardship and suffering. It's not an easy walk. It's not an easy walk. Now, listen to what Jesus said. Remember this. He said in Luke nine twenty three, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. That's the first hard thing that people have a struggle with, denying themselves. But notice this. And take up his rose petals daily and follow me. Take up his what? His cross, right? Now, now here's here's the problem that we see in our day. In our culture, the cross is an emblem of Christianity, and it's a decor, and it's often your pretty jewelry, and I have nothing wrong with that. I love the cross. But the true meaning of the cross is suffering. It's a symbol of suffering. It's not a symbol of health, wealth, and happiness. It is a symbol of of what the Savior was crucified on to accomplish our redemption. So you understand that that it is the Christian's call to suffer which requires endurance. We have to remember this. And with that, we need to remember that this race, as we see in this text, notice the last last three words. Excuse me, four words. It is set before us. It's set before us. You know what that means? I don't set my race out before me. God sets that out before me. I don't choose the path of my race. The Lord chooses that for me. The Lord does that. And so God has laid out your race by His perfect and gracious will. Now, some may suffer more than others. But in every Christian's race, there is a sovereign God who sustains and brings His children through. Your race is different than mine, but yet the same principle remains. And so while in this race, we have to ask ourselves, are we determined to endure and run our best no matter what life brings us or what God brings us in our life? Here's what Paul's resolve was. Philippians 3.14, he said, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If anyone If anyone endured such suffering outside of Jesus, that it would have been easy to slow down and quit and drop by the wayside, it was Paul. Paul. But instead what we find, he's pressing towards the mark. So we see the clear exercises of our race. We have past examples to encourage us, look to the runners before us. We must lay aside what hinders us. We must endure through what faces us. That brings me to number two this morning. Notice with me the example for our Christian race. Now, we can look at Hebrews 11 and see all kinds of great examples, but the author here gives us not a example, but the example. The example. And who would the example be? Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. So three quick things here about this, which we look to in our example. We look, firstly, to the person of Christ. We look to the person of Christ. We look to Him. We look to Him. This is about focus. This is about uh, our mindset and where we're looking. Focus is a major key in in running any race. Uh, It is stirring of the mind on either the good or bad, the positive or the negative. Now, whenever I run, which I need to get back into, ain't done it in a while, my greatest challenge is focusing on what will get me through. The longer you run, the more pain you tend to feel. You feel like your side's about to give out, getting cramps and all that, your legs and your knees and all of that. And, and when you begin to really think and focus in on how much it hurts, it's easy to think, ah, I might not finish this mile. I think I'll stop a little short of what I thought I was going to do. But when I focus on the satisfaction of finishing well, then I have proper motivation. When I try to put it out of my mind, and usually the way I put it on my mind and when I'm running is, Lord, help. <laughs> Lord, help me. I'm about to die. And usually I begin praying and he tends to help me. I try to get my mind off the pain. But this is what we need in a Christian life. We need to focus not on our pain or what we're going through or, or what were other, other things to think about, that there's one focus and motivation to our Christian race, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the focus. Every year. Every year he is the focus of our race that we run. You look at verse 2 and what do we see we're to be doing? He says to be looking to Jesus as we run this race, Looking to him. Now, looking is quite simple. It's to direct one's attention without distraction, to fix one's eye trustingly. So so understand, this isn't just a casual glance. Okay, there's Jesus, and I'll go back to this focus on other things. It's an intentional focus without distraction from surroundings. I think one of our greatest problems as humans we face as we're trying to run this Christian race is distraction. We're so easily distracted By a variety of things. Maybe it's something personal in your life. Maybe it's something you saw on the news or something we see happening in in, in Russia and Ukraine and we get worried and afraid. And There's an untold number of things that distract us. You remember what happened when Peter stepped out onto the water? He's looking at Jesus in the midst of a raging storm around him. He said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come and I'll walk. That was faith, by the way. He steps out and Peter begins to walk on water, going to Jesus. Imagine that experience. But then what happens? He began to see the waves and the wind the boisterous storm around him. And he begins to sink. Why does he begin to sink? Because his eyes left Jesus and went to the storm. And there's a great parallel of application there. When the focus of our hearts is distracted on other things around us, whether they be problems, pains, or pleasures, we will inevitably stumble or be hindered in our race. Jesus is to be our focus point. Now, why do we look to Jesus in this way? Notice what he says about Jesus, the person of Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He is the founder or or the author, the originator when he says he's the founder, it means he's the one who originated it. He is the beginning of our faith. Now, we think about our Christian life. All of who we are is due to Christ alone. There's not an ounce of our salvation or Christian life that we can say, Oh, it's all me. All glory goes to Christ. All of it. He paved the way before us with his own life and obedience to the Father. Notice he is also the perfecter of our faith. The word perfecter here refers to one who brings something to a successful conclusion. A successful conclusion. So, so here's what you see. Christ has completed the course necessary for our faith in full. We, we see the first aspect of this with his redemption on the cross. And Jesus is dying on the cross. He's about to give up his last breath. What did he say on the cross? "Die"? It is what? Finished right? He is the one who has accomplished our redemption by his death and burial and resurrection. He has done it all. And so all of our faith begins and ends with Jesus. And as the perfecter of our faith, he brings it to a successful conclusion, which we know is true for the believer in his life. Philippians 1.6, listen to this. Paul says the, the Philippian Christians, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, the day of Christ. Friend, if you are Christ, you can't be cast by the wayside. Now, you may not be choosing to live exactly like you ought to live, but make no mistake, God has not let go of you, and he's going to bring you back at some point or another. It's better to to obediently follow him than to endure chastisement. So Jesus, from start to finish, is the one who we look to. We are to look to the one who has begun and completed our salvation for us. That's what the Hebrews, the people of Hebrews 11, were looking to. They are looking to the promise of this. Notice with me, letter B, we look not only to the person of Christ as the, as the founder and perfecter of our salvation, of our faith, but we look to the perseverance of Christ. That's also something we look to. We look to his perseverance. Now, when we think about Jesus' race in the sense of his own life and ministry and what he came to accomplish, is there any race that compares to his? All of Hebrews 11, does any of those races compare to that one? Anything of ours compare to his? Notice verse 2. What does he say about Jesus? It says of him who... For the joy set before Him endured the cross. Now we think about the cross for a moment. You understand that that's the most horrific course that could have ever been run. And I'm not talking just because of the physical persecution, physical crucifixion. Yes, that was immensely painful for Christ physically. I'm talking even further about the fact that on the cross... Jesus suffered the holy weight of God's wrath for sin. He who knew no sin did what? Became sin. Why? For us. There on the cross, it's not just about the physical suffering. It's about the spiritual weight that He bore on behalf of His people. And we notice that Jesus endured the cross despite there being such suffering. Notice He endured, despising the shame that would be brought to Him. Why did He do that? He says, for the joy that was set before Him. What joy was before Him going to the cross? Well, there's a lot of joy that would be brought to Him. The joy of fulfilling His Father's will. The joy of bringing redemption to His people and His creation. The joy of resurrection to follow. The joy of ascension to the right hand of the Father. The joy of fulfilling all that God has set in motion. We read a good parallel passage here in First Peter 2. Look with me here for a moment. First Peter 2. Look with me at verse 21 through verse 25. five. First Peter 2. This ties into us. As Peter is writing to these suffering Christians, and he says to them, verse 21, for to, you, to, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Why? So that you might follow in His steps. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Why does Peter tie all this together? He's, he's tying this to them and their own suffering. He says, to this you have been called because of the example of Christ. You're going to follow in his steps. You see, Jesus was looking beyond the suffering to the end results. with what And with this, Jesus has left us a chief example to look to. Now, we think about our own race for a moment. Where must our perspective be in our race, whether we're running uphill or downhill, whether we're in a time of blessing or suffering? It must be beyond the temporal nature of this life to the eternal nature of what is to come. We're too temporally minded. We're not eternally minded enough. We're just not. We don't think about heaven enough. We don't think about what's beyond this world enough. You see, everything that we experience in our life that is hard is only temporary. Doesn't last forever. There's an end to it. And we look at Christ's example. Look at His passion. This is what we look to. Paul had that kind of a focus when he knew that he was going to suffer for Christ's sake. When he knew he'd go, he was going to suffer, if he went back to Jerusalem, in Acts 20, verse 24, here's what we read. He says this, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course, and the ministry that I have received from the Lord to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. For Paul, it was all about just being faithful to the finish. Now, when I think about this in regards of running, what a relief and joy it is when, you physically cross the finish line. I've run a few 5Ks in my younger years. I don't think I could endeavor to do one right now unless I get ready for it. I'd be in trouble. When you come to the end and you see that end point, it's in sight, there's a great joy that flows over you, a relief, because you cross that finish line. Guess what? You don't have to run anymore. You can sit down. You can... Rest, you can drink water, and usually at the finish line, there's some people there cheering you on and greeting you, welcoming you to the the end of the race. Christian, how much more wonderful will it be when you cross that heavenly finish line into the presence of Jesus, into that eternal rest? That eternal rest. Greeted by our glorious Lord who accomplished it all for us, but also by those beloved saints that went on ahead of you. They crossed it sooner than you did, but they're there. They finished, and you're going to finish too. You see, we need to have this perspective in the right place when we're running. We look, letter C, not only to the perseverance of Christ and what He endured, but this is also important for us. We are to look to the position of Christ right now. What is His position? What is the position of Christ? As Christ finished His course, His redemption of sinners through His blood, we read in verse 2 at the latter part, where is He now? He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is enthroned, friend. Now, now, what a position this is to behold. I've always loved the account of Stephen, as we know that he's being stoned to death for preaching the gospel message. The Jews have taken upon them to kill him drug him out of the city, and they're stoning him. And as he's about to die, God gives us this insight in Acts 7, 56. Behold, Stephen says this, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. You imagine seeing that right before you take your last breath? Stephen was finishing his course and he saw Jesus, and what's interesting is he's standing instead of sitting almost like Jesus is either eager to come back or cheering him on or something. He's standing. He's, he's about to welcome Stephen into his presence. I think of how wonderful that is. We get to go and meet the greatest finisher where he is. But here's, here's the reality about his position what I want you to understand. Is that because Jesus is at God's right hand, he is there fulfilling a specific ministry. You know what that ministry is? He is our great high priest. He is our intercessor. He is our king. He is our great shepherd. And you understand that this is His ministry whereby He is the one who is strengthening us, hearing us, comforting us, enabling us. Because of His present position at the right hand of God, He is who we go to for strength to keep running the race well. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. Listen to this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, for what purpose? That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That whole passage is about our great high priest. Because Jesus is our great high priest, we can come with confidence and boldness to the throne of grace. And when we feel weak and weary, we call out to Him and say, Lord, give me strength, help me through this. Guess what, Christian? He hears you. He understands the pain and suffering that you are enduring. And He knows how to strengthen you through it in your race. So our chief example is Christ. Are we looking to Him? Are we looking to Him? Number three this morning. I want you to see the encouragement for our race. And this really just ties together to what we just saw about looking to Jesus, but it's worded in a little different fashion. We need to remember how Jesus ran and how He finished. Look at verse 3. Scripture says, "...Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself..." so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now, the word consider here, it's the great term from which we get our English word to analogize. Analogize. It's, it's to reason with, with careful deliberation. It is to compare something to assist in understanding. So there's a contrast to, that you're to make to help you understand and see. And what is it that is to be compared here? It is to... Compare the suffering of Christ. Compare the suffering of Jesus to our own. So let's think about this for a moment. These Hebrews were facing persecution that wasn't yet unto death. You'll read that later. It's not yet unto death, but it's about to get there. They knew that the unbelieving Jews in Jerusalem, they had already given the verdict about Jesus long ago. Remember what the verdict was about Jesus? Crucify Him. Crucify Him. Kill Him. These Hebrew Christians are very aware that their identification with Christ is not accepted by the majority of their Jewish brethren. It is hated by them. And the point here that Scripture is making is that they are to consider Jesus in light of this. Consider Jesus. What must they see and know when they consider Jesus? Jesus willingly endured the suffering of crucifixion all the way unto death for them to have eternal life. He willingly took that judgment of sin on Himself. He endured from sinners, verse 3, such hostility against Himself. If Jesus did that for them, is it too much for them to suffer on behalf of Jesus? To continue to endure on behalf of Jesus? No, it's not. Now, this brings me to consider our own self. Compare what Jesus endured to what we actually endure. It's so easy for us to elevate our own suffering, isn't it? It's easy to do that. I'm not saying take it lightly, but I'm saying we, we naturally tend to elevate our suffering. But is there really anything so hard that we cannot endure for Christ's sake, even death? Is there any suffering that we could possibly endure that is worse than what Jesus suffered for us? No, there's not. That is what you and I are to consider. Look at what Christ endured for you for the purpose of this, that we not be faint-hearted because He's already gone all the way for us. So letter be. we resolve to run like Jesus to the finish. Upon considering Him in verse 3, we are to be encouraged not to faint in our race. If we're not careful, Christian, you can easily grow weary and become faint-hearted. We've probably all been there at some point in our life. All of us. You have been discouraged, down? Felt like quitting? We've probably all been there. There's many times early in my ministry I thought, I struggle with depression, discouragement, deeply. I thought, maybe I just ought to quit. or' do something else. But the thought that always came back to me was this. Jesus went all the way for me. How can I quit? How could I ever quit? That thought wouldn't let me quit. You come back to see who Jesus is and what He's done for you. Now, here's the reality. Many runners in this race become fatigued and depressed with life. They may think they can't go any further. Understand that this thinking must be remedied by considering Jesus afresh. Consider Him. Read about Him. Look at what He's done. And don't grow weary in that. Listen to what Scripture says. 2 Thessalonians three thirteen. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in well-doing. Paul said in Galatians, do be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap if you faint not. When we consider afresh what Jesus endured, that is motivation and strength for us to consider Him. Because here's the reality. The devil would love for you to be weighed down by weights and sins of this world. That's what he wants. He would love for you to be like Israel and look back to the comforts of Egypt. Look back to the world. The world seems to be living carefree, right? Enjoying life, partying. How many millions of people are hung over this morning? Not worshiping the Lord, but man, they're living the good life. Let any clue? They're on the, road, on the road to hell. Christ has changed everything for us. Looking back does no good and only hinders us from going forward. Warren Wiersbe said this, you can't successfully run forward if you are looking backward. And that's just a basic principle, right? My poor son David has got to learn this. He has a great problem with running or walking through the house by looking behind him. And you know what that results in? Runs into the cabinet, runs into doorknobs, runs into everything. And he comes in the room crying, Mom, I hurt my head. And we usually don't even have to ask him what happened. We know. That's my first question. Were you looking behind you? Yeah. You have to keep looking forward or you're going to stumble. You're going to get hurt, son. And this is what it, this is, this is the reality for the Christian life. We don't look left or right or behind us. We look forward to jesus because he's the one who saved us he's the one who sustains us he's the one who strengthens us he's the one who sanctifies us it is all about jesus and i'll close with this final text in second timothy four verse six through eight as paul is about to give up his life is at the end of his race i've, I've always loved this passage He said, I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also all who love His appearing. Paul's an example. I want to have that same kind of conviction. So the Christian race, friend, it's a beautiful picture of the Christian life. We're all runners. You're either running well or you're running poorly. But you're running. You're in it. And as I always look and contemplate a new year, I realize that I'm not promised that I'll go beyond 2023. This might be the last year I get to run. Consider that prospect, Christian. Christian. I'm not calling on you to make new resolutions and all that. If you do that, that's fine. I'm calling on you to have a resolve in your heart that I will run faithfully for Christ to the end, no matter what that in, entails. might be uphill, might be downhill, but regardless, my commitment is to Christ alone, one day at a time. And as you do that, you will be greatly rewarded for that. Once you find your way across that finish line, let's contemplate those things as we start a new year. We stand to our feet as we have a closing prayer and song. Father in heaven, we bow before you this morning. We're so thankful for your word, how you speak to us, the text before us, Father, the great challenge that this scripture gives to our hearts, how often we need reminded of it. Father, we are easily distracted, we are easily discouraged, we are easily drawn away by the things of this world that are temporal and amount to nothing. They are vanity of vanities. Lord, stamp eternity upon our hearts, upon our eyes, upon our minds. May we keep ourselves focused upon Christ, one day at a time, faithfully running all the way to the very end. We pray that you would take this word and seal it to our hearts. May it affect us as we enter into this week and into this year. We ask it in Jesus' name.